This program has references to family violence, men's violence, and violence in general. Please take care and turn off the podcast if it is triggering for you. In an emergency, contact the police on 000. For Victoria Statewide Family Violence Support Service, you can contact Safe Steps, a 24-7 family violence response center on 1-800-015-188. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic and family violence counseling and support service. This podcast is recorded as part of Safer Pathways Project in Prevention of Violence Against Women, funded through the Australian Government's Department of Social Services. The views presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the funder nor of MCWH. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging and I acknowledge that as migrants to this country, we benefit daily from the displacement of Aboriginal people and colonization of their land. Hello, I'm Vahide from Multicultural Center for Women's Health, and you're listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project that aims to help migrant and refugee women living in regional areas that are experiencing or at risk of family violence and sexual assault to access support services. Why do we say migrant and refugee at MCWH? There are lots of terms that people use to talk about migrant and refugee communities. At MCWH, we use the term migrant and refugee to describe anyone living in Australia who was born overseas or whose parents or grandparents were born overseas in a predominantly non-English speaking country. We say migrant and refugee to highlight the impacts of migration and settlement process on women's health and well-being. It reminds us that the barriers we face are mostly because of systems and policies, not because of cultures or countries we come from. In 2004, Maha Sukar became the first Muslim policewoman in Victoria to wear a hijab, challenging stereotypes and setting a trailblazing example for police forces around the world. In her 17-year career, Maha has taken a lead role in promoting social cohesion, breaking cross-cultural barriers, and encouraging diversity within the police. She is the founder and current president of the Victoria Police Muslim Association, VPMA, the first police association of its kind in Australia and the Asia-Pacific. With more than a hundred members, the VPMA promotes harmony, social cohesion, and the profile of Muslim police. She is also the vice chair on the Victoria Police Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Network, which is the umbrella network for all religious and cultural networks in Victoria Police. The network supports members and advises Victoria Police on culturally and linguistically diverse community matters. Apart from her community work, Maha is currently a sergeant working as a law instructor at the police academy. Maha is recipient of multiple awards, including the Australian Police Medal. The statement that I always live by and it's been with me for years and years and years is 
you do not do evil to those who do evil to you, but you deal with them with forgiveness and kindness. Maha, welcome to this episode of Making the Links. Thank you for having me. I think I'll start with a general question that is really interesting for me. If you could answer, please. What is it like to be a woman police officer in your own community? Do people come to you for support and advice or do they even feel comfortable being around you? Yes, look, I had no issues in particular with the community, whether the multicultural community or my own community, which is an Arab-Lebanese community. People come to me for advice all the time. My phone doesn't stop ringing sometimes. You know what I mean? But working in the area that is law enforcement, uh, I was expecting to be treated worse. Actually, I've been treated really, really well and I've been accepted with open arms. That's really, really great to hear. So you said that your phone doesn't stop ringing. That must be challenging for you as well, because you have a full-time busy job as a police officer. And if you want to support your community and because of the community obligations sometimes, does it feel a bit challenging as well? Look, you, you learn to put some boundaries or sometimes you tell people, if it's not urgent, can I call you back? Or it depends on the situation. If, God forbid, there's a terrorist attack and, and the community is really worried, I'll always stop work and, and answer their worries and answer their questions and help them as much as I can. But if it's something just that can wait for the next day or it can wait a couple of hours until I finish work, then I always tell them, please, can I call you back? Or can you send me an email with your questions? And I'm happy to help. So you learn how to put some boundaries. You learn how to say no sometimes or say, look, I'm sorry, this is not something a police officer can help you with or appoint them to the right people to go to them. This podcast series is about a prevention of violence against women project. Mm -hmm. So have you been involved with family violence incidents as a police officer? And what was the most challenging part of the job and how did you navigate it? Well, most police or 99.9 police officers who work, uh, the frontline police, we call it, deal with family violence. Unfortunately, it's very prevalent these days. It's been prevalent for years and years and years. Um, how does it affect me? Look, we, we, the challenge with this is never to take sides, to listen to both sides of the story, because as you know, there's one side and there's another side and there's something in the truth somewhere in the middle. Listen to both sides. Always don't take things personal, because sometimes these people are under a lot of stress. They're having a fight, sometimes a physical fight. There's kids involved. So they might lash out at you or they might call you names, because not many people like to see the police. And when the police gets involved, that means for them, it's a big deal, especially people from a multicultural background. They're scared of police. So when they suddenly knock on the door and there's a police officer there, not many people are happy to do that. So it's just taking it a step at a time, a day at a time. And it takes a toll on you when you work and you see six, seven family violence incidents in one night. It will take a toll. But we work around it. We're trained to talk to each other. We are trained to, you know, um, be human and deal with each situation as, as it is by itself. And we hear, Maha, you mentioned that sometimes people from multicultural background are scared to be around police officers. And we, we've heard this a lot. And it's because of, you know, experience maybe back in their country or their migration experience. It can be many, many things. Can you remember a story working with the community that you could share with us that has always stayed with you in your career? Actually, there's one story that I will never forget. And I still think about it 
it happened about eight years ago. So unfortunately, at the time, there was a kid who was five years old who ran away from his mom in the playground and fell into a, a creek or some water. And the water was going very fast. So the water took him away. And the family was from a migrant country, haven't been in this country for a long time, scared of police, didn't want to deal with police. But, you know, they were so scared. We got the search and rescue police to look for that kid. And the family didn't want to talk to anyone except me, because from the way I look, obviously, I look like a Muslim woman wearing a headscarf. I have an accent. They had more comfortable talking to me. And I was for 48 hours talking to them, going to the police, trying to search. So I was the liaison between them and the police. And unfortunately, it ended up that the the son didn't survive. He passed away. So I was unfortunate to go home and knock on the door and tell them that we found the body of the baby, but he was not alive. And I stayed with them for a long time, helped them with the center link, with, with the stuff to help, with support, with wealthy. I will never forget that day. It always takes a piece of you every time you work with something like that. But the good thing was that they trusted me and I'm very grateful that they trusted me and listened to me. And do you usually work with migrant communities in the police? Do other police officers come to you when they want to talk to migrant communities? What I used to work before this um, a couple of years ago, about four years now, I used to be a multicultural liaison officer. In Victoria Police, we have multicultural liaison officers. They're police officers who their job is to work with the multicultural communities, do projects, break the barriers, uh, make connections. So I used to do that for 10 years. So I built up a lot of community connections and police connections. Even till now, after work, sometimes I still do some work. I still go and do what I'm doing right now, talking to, to communities. I do presentations. And police come to me because of the connections I have, because of the experience I have so far with dealing with people from different backgrounds, especially these days with COVID. I do a lot of radio, the multicultural radio and Arabic speaking communities and answer their questions. So I still do all that work. It's my passion. I love it. It's why I joined the police is to work with the multicultural communities. Maha, we know from research and studies and working in the field that migrant and refugee communities access family violence services at a very critical point. Yep. I also read in an article interviewing Victoria Police Family Violence Command that these communities, and referring to migrant and refugee communities, experience additional barriers in reporting family violence to the police. And you have been working in the police force. What are some of these barriers that have been reported or you have observed working with communities? Well, the first barrier we've talked about before, it's about being scared of police. Other barrier is a language barrier, not able to express themselves in English. Sometimes they don't want to talk to interpreters because some interpreters might come from the same community that they come from. They don't want everyone else to know about it. Another one is shame. A lot of families are ashamed to say that they have issues. And it's part of their pride that no one should know about their personal business. So that's another one. And there's the fact that they think that the police might break their family. They, they will end up divorced or without their kids. So the lack of knowledge is one of the biggest barriers, the lack of knowledge how police do their work and how we actually police the community is one of the biggest barriers. And slowly, slowly, we're trying to get information to them in different languages, having multicultural officers, having people to come and work for police, but they are not police officers. So they're less scary or not wearing uniform so they can deal with. It's great that the police is actually working to build trust in the communities. And you gave us many examples on how they are doing it. 
And you mentioned some of the work you do as well, going and speaking to the community and doing presentations to prevent the lack of trust of the community in the police. Yeah, look, it's always great when you go and meet with someone and sit down and have coffee with them without needing anything from them. And this is slowly how you build up your relationship. So I used to go and sit down with people around the community, and a lot of police do that now, and have a coffee one weekend. It's not COVID-related. Have a coffee and just chat. So you build up the relationship slowly so they can trust you. So after a couple of times, if there's any problems, they feel comfortable calling me personally or calling that police officer that they've met and know and had a coffee and talked about different things in life. So it makes things easier to report something to them. Maha, I've been working as a family violence worker as well. And I know that police have to prioritize safety and risk management when responding to a family violence incident. Yes. And we have been working with multicultural background women, and they have reported that sometimes they don't understand the police process. It might be, as you said, caused by language barrier and lack of language support and resources. And multicultural organizations and many other community organizations have employed bilingual workers who have been trained in family violence. And we know that police work with multidisciplinary teams such as Orange Door. So I'm guessing there will be consultations with the police and police will be consulting with different teams in area of family violence. And they know the language, they know the community, they might be community leaders as well, but they can be anyone from the community who have been trained in working in family violence areas. So, as I said before, we start with the police when it's urgent and when it's something happening straight away, the police have to intervene, whether it's at the time they come, maybe it's at night or things like that. So get involved, they help and fix and get the um, risk or make sure that everyone's safe. And then they will contact in touch or Orange Door. And it depends on the communities we're talking about. They can usually contact the multicultural liaison officers who would advise them or tell them which community or elder For example, sometimes we go and ask for InTouch because InTouch is a multicultural service that works with different people. Or certain community leader that we know that knows the right answers or can help as much as we can. But the first board of call is to go and make everyone feel safe first and then we do referrals. And we do training. Now, police get trained on multicultural communities. We don't teach them everything, but we teach them to know where to call and what to do and where to start as a starting point. And if the situation is bigger than it is, 